One of the um, reasons the two campuses are together is, well, it's just fun to be together, um, but uh, it's, it's sort of pragmatic as well, and that is that the Hurstbridge campus were, on certain Sundays of the year, are unable to actually book out their facility, just, just because there's been a pre-existing booking and, and so forth. So it doesn't always work out for um, the Hurstbridge campus to be there, but we've decided to take advantage of that fact and actually all come together and, and, um, and have our, of course, church meeting as well. So it works out really, really well. But it really is good to, to see you all this morning. And um, I trust that uh, you're looking forward to us um, opening up and hearing from God as we um, look to his word and, and ask him now to come and speak. So Heavenly Father, with that in mind, we, we do ask that by your spirit, through your word, you will come as you so often do and, and minister your word to us. Um, you know everyone sitting here. You not only know all about them, you actually know each and every one of us better than we know ourselves, which is a remarkable thing. Although sometimes, I guess life is so confusing, perhaps we're, we're not exactly stunned by that revelation. <laughs> we're gladdened by it. We're thrilled to know that even those parts of ourselves that we don't understand, you understand. You are here with us. And we are here to exalt you, to lift up your name, to, to gather together now and to hear from you as you come and speak to each and every one of us. So Holy Spirit, come now. We want to open up ourselves, heart and mind, to whatever it is that you have to say to us, simply because we trust you. We believe that you are a good father. And we trust you. Now come and speak, we pray. All of this, we can be confident that it can be asked in the name of Jesus Christ that he promised. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Correct. I um, was looking for a particular item on eBay recently, and, and lo and behold, I could only find uh, this in the UK of all, of all places. And, and so it was with some level of fear and trepidation that I like, kind of researched it and looked into it and thought, will I, won't I? And the postage was going to be a bargain. So I thought, ah, oh, you know what? I, I can't get this in Australia. I'll do it. So I press that scary button that says buy now and, and I, I purchased it. But I was, I was actually, um, I, I guess, encouraged to immediately get an, a corresponding email saying, yep, you're, congratulations, you've successfully purchased this item. And, and then a few days later, another, another email to say, yep, your item has been packaged and dispatched. I thought, oh, that's, that's exciting. And just picturing somewhere in some warehouse in the UK, you know, somebody has seen my email. I thought, oh, Stuart's emailed us. This, this is for him. And they've packaged it up, especially for Stuart, and sent me an email to tell me. And, and then I got another email to, to say that it had been sent and you could expect delivery in seven to 10 days or so forth. Well, that was exciting. I was, I was starting to get all, all the more eager about this. And then finally, I got another email yet about this whole delivery process. It was amazing to say it had arrived and it was ready for pickup at the post office. And I was, oh, super. Went to the post office and sure enough, there it was in the box. And just as, as promised, it, the delivery worked. It was amazing. But 
But nowadays, I guess we've come to expect, haven't we, frequent notifications that, that our delivery will come as, as promised. And I think when we look at Jude's doxology, there's a sense in which, in which it's, it's like, here is Jesus. Nobody can deliver like Jesus. And here's the promise, here's the reminder that you have a delivery and it's promised and it's sure and it's certain and it is going to happen. And here's the delivery that God is undertaking with each and every one of us. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the splendor, his glorious splendor rather. That's the promise that Jesus is going to deliver. He is going to deliver each and every one of his children before the Father and he is going to going to do it with great joy. He is able to keep us from falling. He's able to present us before his glorious presence without fault and, and with great joy. Why? How is he able to do this? Why can he deliver on this promise? Well, now, praise be to God our Saviour, to whom all glory, majesty, power and authority belong. He can do it because all glory and majesty and all power and all authority belong to him, to Jesus Christ. That's the basis on which you can be confident that he can deliver on his promise. When we think about deliverance, there is nobody, there is nobody who can do it like Jesus when we come to our passage today, we're actually going to, going to talk a little bit about deliverance ministry. We're going to talk a little bit about demon possession. And, and it takes us, particularly in Western society, a little bit to get our head around all of that. And, and how does this work? And what does it mean for today? And, and so forth. But our passage in, in Mark chapter 9 is about a deliverance ministry that, that took place. So if you open up your Bibles, let's read together from Mark chapter 9. We're going to read from verses 14 through to verses 29. And the promise is here, as we reflect on this scripture, that Jesus is able. He can deliver us from all things that stand in opposition to his purposes. And in this case, the deliverance of this little boy was from an unclean spirit that was, was harassing him. So let's read together Mark chapter 9, verses 14. We'll read to, to verse 29. When they came to the other disciples, now they were coming down from the mountain where Jesus had just been transfigured before them. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
he fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. That's an interesting passage, isn't it? And if I was to to pick a passage for us all coming together, you know, both campuses, whoa, we're together. Probably wouldn't have been this one. But here we are in the Gospel of Mark, and, 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 and here is a biblical story that is true and is here for us to reflect on. So what can we, what can we learn? Interestingly here, almost a, very similar to Jesus' baptism, right after Jesus' baptism and that beautiful moment where the, where the Father encourages Jesus, straight after that, interestingly, Jesus is led into the desert and there is a wilderness experience. Likewise, he's just been transfigured on the mountain. Here is, here is this beautiful theophany, a moment where the disciples get to see who Jesus really is. They, they see him in his glory just for this moment. A picture of all that is to come. But then the reminder that Jesus' glory must come through suffering. He comes down from the mountain and back into the real world of suffering, misery and sin. And here is a, is a father obviously very, very perplexed by the state of his son's well-being. An argument was, was taking place because the disciples could not deliver this young boy from this unclean spirit. And if the disciples doing this in Jesus' name could not deliver it, it was casting doubt on Jesus' authority himself. For the, for the disciples to actually cast the spirit out, they were, it's, it was just as if Jesus was to cast the spirit out. So this would have been a little bit troubling and perplexing. And all of a sudden, you know, there is doubt about the about the authority of Jesus and his power. Perhaps there is a limit to it. And this argument is, is breaking out as these teachers of the law have come to sort of check out what is going on down here and they think finally they have found a little bit of a flaw in the ministry of Jesus. So what's going on here? Firstly, we know that what had gripped the boy was definitely an unclean spirit. We often refer to it, and, and you may actually have in your English translations there, it translated as he was possessed by a demon. 
We sometimes refer to that as demon possession, don't we? But without a doubt, it was caused by an unclean spirit. We know this because in verse 25, when Jesus finally commands this spirit to come out of him, he says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And he refers to the spirit as you deaf and mute spirit. So there's no doubt in Jesus' mind, this is what is, is going on. Now, not every person who is deaf and mute, obviously, though, is so because it's caused by a demon. Interestingly, back in chapter 7, Jesus healed a man who was also deaf and mute, but there was no mention of him casting a spirit out on that occasion. So there is a difference between just a sickness and then a sickness that an unclean spirit is, is causing. And secondly, we should, should note that the seizures here, which are, well, they sound, don't they, a little bit like what we might commonly call some, or at least some seizures, an epileptic seizure. We need to make the distinction that the epilepsy and the seizure is not the demon possession, but the demon who is troubling this little boy throws him into a seizure but not all seizures are actually caused by demons. So we need to be careful to make these distinctions and and not get confused here. In fact, there are many things in life, both physical illness and, and mental illnesses, which are not caused by demons. There are many troubles and problems in life which are not, not demonic. If I think about um, um, addiction, let's say, to pornography, Well, there could be demonic activity there, but quite honestly, generally speaking, I would say most of the time it's a a combination of hormones and sinful willfulness, lust, and some really bad habits. And if you address those, you are probably going to already start to see a little bit of the victory that God wants for you. So there are many things in life, including sinful behaviour, that whilst there could be a demonic element to it, isn't necessarily a case of demonization or or demonic activity. But on this occasion, there was a demonic spirit troubling this little boy. And verse 25 leaves us with no doubt about that. But here's what we learn about this whole area. Firstly, we learn that it's not a problem for God. It's actually not a problem at all. In verse 19, um, Jesus very, very quickly, not, not at all alarmed by this, simply says, bring the boy to me. If this was a problem for Jesus or if this was a difficulty for him or some sort of a challenge, he may have tried to balk at this moment. But no, very, very simply, bring the boy to me, he commands the father to do. This is not a problem for Jesus. Verse 20 says that when the spirit saw Jesus, it was, it was alarmed and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. The spirit recognised who Jesus was. Again, this is not a problem for God. Verse 23, Jesus reassures the father that as alarming and troubling as this, this demonic activity is, yes, Nonetheless, everything is possible for one who believes. Well, that ought to be of some encouragement to us. 
I guess probably for most of us, if we were somehow confronted with demonic activity which we, we did not understand and we, we seemed to feel powerless before it, if we took literally Jesus' words that everything is possible for one who believes, we should take some courage that there is nothing in this life, there is no obstacle whatsoever to the purposes of God that can overcome us or stand in the way of what God wants. And that's an encouragement. Again, this is not a problem for God. And then in verse 25, Jesus deals with the issue simply by saying, I command you to come out and to never enter again. Jesus seemingly has all the authority that he needs to do this. It's interesting too, as a um, formal, former principal of MST or BC Bible College of Victoria used to point out, David Price, he would often point out that demonic activity and indeed all of Satan's schemes was never actually a focus of Jesus in his ministry. It was not a focal point. Quite simply, Jesus went about doing the Father's will. And when he confronted the demonic, he dealt with it. And then he went on doing the Father's will. If he confronted the demonic, he simply dealt with it. It actually just wasn't a focus of his overall ministry. He stayed on track, speaking the words the Father gave him, doing the work of the Father, doing the things that he saw the Father doing. That's a good point to make. But now what about this whole area of demonization and what are we to learn and to understand today? There are perhaps two Greek expressions often, often used when we when talk about this. Um, the, the first one, daimonisome, means simply to be demonized or to be under the control of a, of a demon. And eke, daimonion, means to have a demon. And so perhaps better than the English translation demon possession, which, which unfortunately gives us that impression that every aspect of demon acti activity is the wholesale and total possession of a person by a demon, which at an extreme level could happen. But it's a phrase that actually is a little bit misleading. And a better word perhaps when it comes to these things is to, to use the word demonization. That would be a good English word to talk about the varying levels that there are. I was thinking about this, to, you know, to have control of. Well, um, back in the day, because it's been a while since we've had a police story, hasn't it? Back in the day, um, I, I recall I was stationed at Port Melbourne and a, a certain, certain ship from the US, a naval ship had come in and, and um, it was nuclear powered and there were some, some people that didn't like that. And so they were down at the Port Melbourne dock demonstrating against this. So a number of police from Port Melbourne, South Melbourne and the surrounding stations, we all had to head down to, to that area and we, we formed what we often call a thin blue line of, of police standing between the demonstrator, demonstrators and, and their objective. And as we stood there, I, I recall um, it was when we looked at the protesters, it really it was a no-brainer, it wasn't going to be a problem. 
But then they started, uh, I guess one of them must have owned a paint shop, but then they started opening up tins of paint, and the idea was that they would charge us and throw paint over us. And dry cleaning is a cost that one must consider, and nobody wants paint on their uniform. And the inspector overseeing the demonstration seemed to agree, and, and so he... So he actually, you know, uh, got somebody to collect our hats. Hats are a bit of a problem in a, in a demonstration. They always fall off and get, you know, stepped on, and, and that takes away from the white. And so, so the hats were also collected and, and everything, and, and so then the inspector, as people were walking towards us with these tins of paint, the inspector gave the command that, that we could go do our job and go and make arrests. And probably I was, I was probably one of the freshest from the academy and, and therefore the fittest and fastest. And I remember finding myself as young as I was and inexperienced, to be quite honest, all of a sudden ahead of everybody else and running to, to grab my first offender. And, and I remember I, I you know, grabbed him by the shirt and, and I had a grip on him. Did I have a level of control of him at that point? Yes, I did. Would I desire more control over him? Yes, I would. And so as I pulled him in, I was able to use a couple of, a couple of um, uh, techniques that the police force had taught me, didn't hurt him, but very soon I had him in a pair of handcuffs. And, and, and now I had even more control of him. And I guess there are levels of control. There's the grip, but somebody could, with a bit of, you know, a bit of tenacity and a bit of strength, they could get away from that grip, just that initial grip. I could have slipped, I could have let go, he could have pulled away from it. That was a level of grip or a level of control. But then once the handcuffs were secured over his, over his wrists, I pretty much had complete control at, at that point. And this first word for demonization, think of it in levels. Think about it as, as depending on what is allowed, it could be a loose control or it could be a more complete control. Again, when we think about the other word to to have a demon, um, you might think about, again, thinking back to my police force days, sometimes we'd be called to a burglary and it was either hot or cold. Hot meant that there was somebody still there. That rarely happened. Cold meant that the person had, had left the premises. Most of, most of our time were attending cold burglaries and just taking reports of what was stolen. The person had already, they'd been, they'd, they'd broken in, they'd grabbed something they had left. And then sometimes there were people who wanted to stay. For some reason or another, a particular premises or something was vacated. There was nobody checking in on it. Perhaps it had some cyclone fencing around, around it, and, and it would be months and months before somebody would realise that somebody had actually not just burgled the place but taken up residence. They were a squatter. And I remember being called to one particular place on an occasion, and, and this is where law gets tricky, and the laws of trespass are quite tricky as well. And I remember going to a place where it wasn't technically a burglary, somebody had been in and then they'd left, but it was a, a situation where somebody would taken up residence. They were squatting there. And unfortunately, legally speaking, that was a little bit of a conundrum for us, and there were all sorts of laws and legislation about how you had to handle that situation. And it wasn't easy to evict the squatter. And those two images are perhaps also images that are helpful when we think about demonic activity. There are, again, levels. Just as there can be a level of control, just a grip or well and truly under control, there can be a level in which maybe Satan has entered into a situation and maybe he has done some sort of damage or so forth, 
And then on an extreme, extreme level, depending on what is going on in a person's life, there can be rights that, that a demon might have which allows that, that demon to actually take up residence there, and that's a trickier situation. So there, all these things fall down at some point, don't they? But, but the point I guess I'm trying to make is whether it is control or whether it is to have a demon, there are different levels. And demonization is perhaps a good word to use when we think about these things. Merrill Unger, who's a you know, um, deceased now, but was quite a, quite a conservative Bible scholar, once wrote a book, What Demons Can Do to Saints. And, and in it, he makes this point. He said, extreme demonization is possible only where ignorance and sin have given the powers of darkness access to human personality, often through centuries of entrenched paganism. He says, in, in lands where Christianity and cultural advance have been a beneficent influence for centuries, few Christians seem to be victimised by demonization in its baser forms. But the situation is quite different in the case of milder forms of demonization. To this lesser degree of demonization, it is feared, in an age of spreading occultism and moral laxity, more and more believers can become invaded by demon powers and can be afflicted with physical, mental, emotional, and moral problems that unmistakably go beyond natural infirmities and disabilities or the normal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. So it raises, I guess, the, the whole question, to what extent is demonization an issue for Christians? If we take the old translation of demon possession, where you think, well, I am possessed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit inhabits me fully, therefore... You can't be inhabited by two forces. I cannot be at one point inhabited and possessed by the Spirit of God, and at another level, I cannot be inhabited and possessed by a demon. Well, that's a problem if you take the, the translation demon possession. But if you accept that there are levels, and we're talking here about demonization, Scripture doesn't outright say that a Christian can't somehow, to some degree, be affected by demonization. And it actually infers that it could happen, particularly by, um, in particular, a deceptive spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1, there is a danger of following deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. In 1 John 4, 1, there is a type of spirit that is not God, and you need to be aware of it. 2 Corinthians eleven four warns against believing, receiving, believing or receiving false spirits that are preached by false teachers. You can always come and ask me for those verses a little bit later if you would like. Scripture seems to caution us to be wary in this particular area. Perhaps a, a, an analogy I once heard is a little bit like this. Rats are attracted to garbage. The idea is to make sure there's no garbage in your life. If there's garbage there, then, well, rats can be attracted to, to that. Um, what... what would garbage look like for a person? Well, it could be sin, rebellion against God, unforgiveness. It could be various addictions that over time uh, become gateways or something for, for some sort of a spirit. It could be generational sin, which is a, one of those funny ones in this day and age, isn't it? But, but I guess one way to understand generational sin is to think about in counselling circles, we would talk about you know issues that are... Um, 
are inherited from our family of origin, just things that actually are passed down in that way. I'm not talking about the same thing there, but it might be a, an analogy or a way of understanding how generational sin likewise could, could be passed down you know, from one, one family to, to another. There could be occultic involvement as, as well. There's, there's a number of ways in which people can um, leave garbage around that, that is attractive or can be used by unclean spirits or, or demons. Now, because this is a little bit of an area that's strange to us, what I'm going to do is in t- instead of preaching this message again tonight, and there will be a version of this tonight, I'm actually going to um, interview... Uh, somebody who was delivered um, from from some some demons um, not that long ago, but Stephen Conadaris has has agreed to to come and and uh, just share his testimony. Both Liz and Sam were involved in that, and Liz is going to come al- along tonight as well. And we're actually going to interview them a little bit tonight to so that they can testify to the power of God, the authority of God, and the grace of God in actually delivering somebody from what can be a demonic activity. And so please, if you're able to and you're, you're interested in finding out more about this, come along tonight and, and you can hear that, that testimony, which is actually not about demonization, but about the power of God. And that's what we want to keep the focus on. The passage leaves us with this question, though, and here is the interesting thing. Why could the disciples not cast out the demon? Okay, we've explored what is it. We're talking about demonization here, troubling a young boy. We're, we're, we're sensing that this young boy, you know, there was not this great sin or willfulness in his life, but somehow he had inherited this spirit. The disciples... It was obviously troubling him. The disciples could not deliver him from this. But why? It seems that Jesus is pointing here to unbelief. In verse 19, he rebukes this unbelieving generation and and he says, Oh, how long must I stay with you? Shall I put up with you? In In verse 23, in this beautiful little uh, or oh, sorry, um, in verse, verse 28, this teaching moment, the disciples ask him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replies, this kind can only come out by prayer. In Matthew 17, verse 20, the parallel passage to this one in Mark, um, Jesus actually adds, well, actually, because you have so little faith. You see, a mustard seed of Size faith can move an entire mountain. Nothing is impossible with God. So with this kind of spirit, that's the way you actually need to pray. In other words, it seems that Jesus is gently rebuking them for lacking faith and lacking the prayer that would come from that kind of faith in handling this this issue. Verse 23 The father is encouraged in his faith. Everything is possible for one who believes. It seems that the reason the disciples couldn't cast this particular demon out was that they weren't believing. They didn't have enough faith. Their prayer was not offered in faith. 
Jesus has authority over all things, all things. Do you believe that? That's the question the passage beckons. Not all challenges in life are demonic, but all challenges must submit to the name of Jesus. Not all challenges in life are demonic, but all challenges challenges in life must ultimately submit to the name of Jesus. This story is one about the authority of Jesus. This story is one about the power of Jesus to overcome absolutely everything. And if there's some sort of a takeaway, I think, for you and for I today, it is this. You can be absolutely assured if Jesus Christ has power over the demonic, whatever it is that you are facing, Whatever it is that you are facing, sufficient power is available to you to overcome as well. There is power in the name of Jesus. He has authority. You name your problem. Quite simply, his name has it covered. This passage is one about belief and faith and recognising that in Jesus' name there is power to overcome any and every possible obstacle that the Christian can face. This passage is about Jesus the Deliverer who promises to deliver us faultless before the splendour of God's glory without fault and with great joy. Jesus as Deliverer can do it. The name of Jesus is powerful. He can do it. Whatever it is that has a grip of you, Jesus, quite simply, has greater power. His name can release you from absolutely everything. That's the encouragement that we have before us today. In the world of demons, there are obviously differences. Some are more powerful than others, but God is more powerful than all of them. We should pray like that. That's the prayer of faith. I wonder what obstacle you are facing today. What obstacle are you facing today? You might feel you don't have the power, you don't have the strength, you don't have the authority even necessarily in and of yourself to conquer those obstacles that stand in the way of God's purposes for your life. But Jesus does. Jesus does. That's the reassurance. That's what we take away from this passage. His name is a powerful, powerful name. He can conquer all. He can remove every obstacle that stands in the way of God's purposes for your life. What obstacle are you facing today? All of the authority of heaven is available to you. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If this passage challenges us in any area, it is that of belief. Do you, quite simply, do you believe Jesus has the power to deliver you? To deliver you from anything that stands in the way of God's purposes. To deliver you to the Father as Jesus promises to do. After all, he is able to keep us. He is able to keep us. And if you don't, here's today's encouragement for you. The simple prayer of the Father. I do believe, 
but help me with my unbelief. Jesus honours that prayer. Maybe you do believe, but as much as you can. (laughs) But there is that beautiful, honest moment A father who has no hope outside of Jesus for his young son. He says, please, help me, God, with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus is right there for you. One other comment. I I, I brushed over this before, but I, I just want to mention it again. The compassion of Jesus in this moment. When that demon seizes the boy and throws him to the ground, there is a moment and Jesus just says to the father, how long has this been happening? Filled with compassion, Jesus understands the, the dilemma of the parents and the anguish of the father. How long has this been happening? Of course, Jesus knows How long has that obstacle been in your life that has stood between you and God's purposes for your life? He knows and he cares and he wants to remove it. The Lord woke me at 4 a.m. this morning. It doesn't often happen. Sometimes happens. And I um, remember asking myself that question, is this you, Lord? (laughs) Do you want to speak to me or is this just, is it time to get up and go for that little walk or, you know, oh Lord, I think I want to go back to sleep. But I don't know, time passes in a funny way, doesn't it, in those early hours of the morning. I suddenly became aware, no, God wanted this moment. And he started to speak to me and he gave me a word for us as a church this morning. And um, as I sometimes do, I thought, I'll remember that. No need to get up. No need to write that down. I'll remember that. I've done that many times. Totally forgot. Totally forgot. So eventually I got up and I was going to head up to my study where I've got some paper and pen. And fortunately, the Lord made it easy for me. It was just sitting there in the lounge room on the coffee table, pen and paper right there. So I turned on the light and and started to ask the Lord just to, okay, those thoughts that I had in my head that I felt were for the church just a moment ago. Please bring them back, Lord. And, and this is what I believe he, he had for, has for us today. I'm going to personalise it because I do believe it is for maybe someone here, maybe for everyone here. I'm not sure. But please receive it because it came at 4 a.m., It was kind of costly from my point of view, yeah? So just please, please get it the first time. Okay, so it could be for all of us. It could be for just one of you. I'm not sure. Jesus found you as a spiritual corpse on a battlefield called this world. He breathed freedom into you and said, live. He has been appointed to reign over all things in order to deliver you from anything that stands in the way of that life that he gave you. Today, this morning, now, he says, live, live. Enter into, as I understand it, 
That was the word. Enter into it, the life that he has called you to, the life that secretly you've always wanted. It's there. It's there to be received. Enter into it. Receive his, receive his command to live and trust his power to deliver. He's very good at deliveries. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for finding us a spiritual corpse on a battlefield called this world, for breathing spiritual freedom into us and your command to live. Thank you that you have been appointed to reign over all things in order to deliver us from anything that stands in the way of your purposes. You call us to life. The life that is truly life, true life. We receive that this morning, Lord, and we thank you. We praise your name. We thank you to the hope to which you have called us. We thank you that nothing can stand in the way of that hope. There is no obstacle. There is no challenge. There is nothing that will not ultimately submit to the name of Jesus. Claiming that and being assured of that, we lay down all obstacles, all challenges, everything that would rise up against your name and your purposes. Responding to your invitation to live, Heavenly Father, we, we pray in the name of Jesus that everything which threatens to bind, which threatens to enslave, which threatens to hold us back, we command it to submit to the name of Jesus Christ. has no hold on us and we praise you for that fact we love you Jesus guide us, direct us, thank you for your compassion, lead us in your ways in your truth in the way everlasting and all the Lord's people said Amen you can stand